over a thousand generations of Jedi Knights and Guardians of Peace, Justice, Hello there. Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic. Last episode, we talked about the original Knights of the Old Republic, cuddly stuffed Ewok toys, and holocrons. Now, in episode 7, we discuss some Jedi red shirts, finally meet Exar Kun, and get our most important canon update yet. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a bit of truth in legends. Before we get into the story today, we wanted to make one correction. Last episode, we referred to the first Tales of the Jedi comic as Ulic Keldroma and the Beast Riders Vonderon, and the correct title is Ulic Keldroma and the Beast Wars of Vonderon, and again, we regret this error because we take this very seriously. Very seriously. We also want to distinguish, of course, between the Beast Wars of Onderon and Beast Wars of the Transformers. Those are separate Beast Wars. I, I was unaware of these other Beast Wars, so thank you, Kelsey. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so sticking, sticking with our Star Wars canon, we are going to dive into Tales of the Jedi, the Freedon Nad Uprising, which takes place around 3998 uh, BBY. That's again before the Battle of Yavin. This was written by Tom Veach in 1994, and it's a two-issue comic series. And it's intended as a bridge for the characters in the original Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, the Freedom Nad Uprising introduces a few more aspects and characters to the story. Here we see the first meeting between Ulik and Nomi, and the first real hints of the dark side in Ulik, though he might not have much of a choice in the matter either. Characters. So the, the main survivors from the original Knights of the Old Republic, including Ulik and Kay Keldroma, Tot Donita, Master Arkajeth, Queen Galea, Os Willem, Nomi and Vima Sunrider, Master Thon, and the spirit of Frieden Nad. We also have a number of newcomers, including Alima Kito. Uh, along with her cousin Satal, they are largely uh, incidental to the main story of this comic until the very last pages. Uh, wealthy, they're wealthy and bored aristocrats who co-found the dark side religious cult, the Krath, and she is a prodigious wielder of Sith magic. Her cousin, Satal Kito, is another uh, obviously wealthy and bored aristocrat and co-founder of the Krath cult. The Krath, specifically the the cousins Kito, are one of the three large enemy factions arrayed against the Galactic Republic and the Jedi during the Great Sith War. We also meet King Omen, uh, Galea's father, vile former king who has outlived his normal span and is long thought dead or infirm by the populace, practices Sith sorcery, Excuse me. His body is held up by a metal exoskeleton because his bones have softened and atrophied during his prolonged use of the dark side and his prolonged life. We also meet um, Warb Null. It's a large Sith warrior clad in all black armor who wields a large green, not red for whatever reason, large green lightsaber. Um, And his name also kind of sounds like the Ewok song from Return of the Jedi. He's imposing and has cool armor and seems like he should live longer. 
Spoiler, he does not. There's Dace Diath, a human Jedi who's one of the five chosen to travel to Onderon along with Nomi to assist Ulic. Dace is originally from Tatooine and trained by his father there for a time. Tatooine, you know, just rich in Jedi. Um, so many Jedi. <laughs> so many Jedi. And there's uh, Shonab Kulu, who is a Miraluka Jedi, part of the Onderon Task Force. Miraluka, um, they don't have eyes, and so they instead see through the Force. So it's like kind of like like Daredevil, the um, or Neo in the uh, later part of the Matrix, um, just blind, but also can see, which is a weird sort of superpower. But sees different and better, so it counts. Um, Shonab and uh, Nomi build their first lightsabers together. And then there's uh, Kurl Tok, a uh, male Nazar Jedi, who is part of the task force. Nazar resemble bipedal horses, but with fingers and opposable thumbs. So uh, Beta Ray Bill from the Thor comics, I'm kind of imagining also like a half, like if Andalites were satyrs instead of centaurs from the Animorphs. That's my go-to for half-horse. And uh, Kroll Tok is a uh, crown prince, but gave it up to become a Jedi. And then we have Kith Kark, the first of these Jedi red shirts to shuffle off this mortal coil, a Gatal Jedi, who is the la- who is the last member of the task force. He lands on Onderon, is hit by a dark force wave, and dies soon after. Uh, Gatal, uh, excuse me, a Gatal is the hairy-faced two-horned tax collector from the Moss Eisley Cantina in A New Hope, if you're paying very close attention. Not the uh, devil-looking thing, that's a Deveronian. And uh, finally, in characters, we have Vodosiosk Boss, a Kravaki Jedi Master who will play a much larger role in later stories. He's only here for a couple pages, but he does have hair, which is weird because Kravaki are large, chitinous, crab-like creatures with arms, legs, and tentacles. He also loses his hair later, so maybe that's just an age thing. <laughs> Timeline again in 3998 BBY. Our locations are Onderon, Asis, our first, I think our f- first visit to Curse, our first look at Coruscant in Star Wars Legends, I think. Um, but not the first one in the show because we've already gone through the Golden Age of the Sith and then uh, Dixun as well. Uh, so we get into a bit more background on Frieden Mad because, because we haven't done the quite enough on this guy and he really, he screws up everything for literally the whole galaxy, um, even as a ghost. So he arrived on, so how did he get to Onderon? Um, in the year 4,400, uh, he left Osis and traveled to Old Sith space, searching for anyone to guide him. He found nothing except the original holocron of King Adas and nearly gave up before hearing of our old friend Naga Sadao on Yavin 4. Upon his arrival, the uh, Masasi slaves attacked Nod, but he had learned much and was strong in the Force. So they brought the fallen Jedi before Sadao's spirit. 
Sadao saw power and took Nad on as his Sith apprentice, teaching him everything he knew of the dark side. Since Sadao was still the reigning Dark Lord, though a spiritual one, Nad did what all good Sith do and destroyed Sadao's spirit for good and all, taking the title of Dark Lord of the Sith for himself, creating a holocron with the sum knowledge he had learned, and then he left Yavin 4. Nod did a bunch of grave robbing for Sith artifacts and eventually had enough, deciding to conquer his own world. He chose Onderon, um, though it had no advanced technology yet. Um, overthrowing the current rulers, he set up his own dark side lineage, began the practice of exiling criminals, or really anyone who opposed him, like the Kira family, and saw the beginnings of the Beast Wars, which even his Sith powers could not tame. Nod died, but his spirit and customs remained, culminating in the Nodist Uprising. Okay, getting uh, getting back to the the main story here. Os Willem and Tot Danita arrive from Ambria back on Onderon, just as Frieden Nad's new mausoleum on Duxun, again, uh, why they don't just fire this guy into the sun, I don't know, uh, once that mausoleum is completed, they join the other Jedi on Onderon, Arca, Ulic, and Kay, and prepare to move the sarcophagi of Nad and Queen Aminoa to Duxun, though they note the dark side is still cur- curiously strong on Onderon, enough to place a pall over even Master Arca's light. However, they are waylaid by a number of dark side forces led by a giant lightsaber wielding dark side warrior named Warb Null. And you have to say it like that so it sounds like you're doing the song from the end of Return of the Jedi. Warb Null. Warb Null. Exactly. <laughs> the dark side forces invade from underground using a large ground boring machine with a drill attached to the front. Uh, like the underminer from the Incredibles or the, the bad guys from Die Hard with a Vengeance. I'm really, we're really trying to place you uh, in the, in the scene here. So, so you can see what's going on, uh, you know, because podcasts are obviously a visual medium. You know, while the troops make, while the troops make for the bodies, Warb Null holds off the Jedi with his giant lightsaber. The lightning attack succeeds as, a, as the sarcophagi are claimed and the Nadist retreat nearly as quickly as they arrived. Seeing that the dark side still holds Onderon and needing an expert on the subject, Galia states that they should see her father, King Omen, who has supposedly been on life support for years hoping that he will have information. Omen appears to be a dying, bedridden old man held up by little more than a metal exoskeleton. However, they were all of them deceived. Once Arca came close to hear the old man speak, the spirit of Nod burst into the room. Omen had called Nod back from the realm of chaos in the netherworld of the Force, which is the uh, version of hell where Darksiders are supposed to dwell after death. Um... Nod taught Omen much of the Sith way, and the king surprised Arca, rising from his bed using the metal exoskeleton, choking Arca. Nod states that the forces on Andron worship him, and Omen incapacitates Arca using Sith magic, while Wormnol and a host of Nodist soldiers cut off the Sith. Wormnol is left to fight Ulic, who is driven into a rage by the kidnapping of his beloved master. 
Though Wardle is much larger, Ulick cuts him down in mere moments, beheading him and retreating with Galia. Little did Ulick know that Nad was testing him to determine his willingness to tap into the dark side, which he readily did when he, ki- when he killed Wardle in anger. Wardle didn't even survive an entire issue and had been little more than a pod. Ulick and Galia meet up with Tot, Oss, and Kay and relay the bad news. The group escaped the city on the back of the flying Drexels bound for Fortress Galia, where the Jedi had crashed where where the Jedi had crashed a wedding in Ulic Keldroma in the Beast Wars of Onderon. Meanwhile, Nomi, Vima, and Thon arrive on the Jedi lo- Library world of Asus. Nomi is going to construct her first lightsaber under the tutelage of Master Voda Siask Boss. Voto immediately takes Nomi on as a student and has a premonition through the Force that Nomi and Vima can be great Jedi. Master Voto is also helping Daestayath and Shoaneb Kulu construct their first lightsabers. Shoaneb breaks her first crystal, though Voto notes that it was broken anyway and an imperfect specimen. Nomi shares some of her Adigan crystals that Ander passed on to her with everyone so that they can build their lightsabers. In the meantime, Nomi continues training at Asus, progressing rapidly as a Jedi, until she and our four other Jedi redshirts are called to Onderon after hearing news of Master Arca's kidnapping. So Ulik had learned from his last experience, and he phoned the Jedi and Republic for help. In true prequels fashion, we get a heated political debate. Some in the Republic want to aid the Jedi, but some see the fight against the dark side as an internal struggle, not Republic business. However, they eventually understand the necessity of securing Onderon as a new Republic world, and that the dark side could be a threat to the Galactic Republic too. Meanwhile, Omen attempts to turn Master Arca to the dark side and has him tied to a post um, very naked and under dark side restraints and torture. I mean, you can't see anything in the comic, but he's definitely just naked tied to a post. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. Meanwhile, on our first trip to Coruscant in this time frame, the Ecumenopolis, having grown greatly since we last visited um, a little over a thousand years ago when Empress Tita and her Jedi allies attempted to warn the Galactic Republic of a Sith invasion immediately prior to the Great Hyperspace War. Now we meet Satal and Alima Kito, bored socialites looking for more information on the Sith after starting the Krath cult based on dark side teachings and learning much Sith lore. They enter the Galactic Museum and convince the curator to allow them to enter the restricted section. After the curator reasons that no one would steal anything from that section and try to take over the galaxy. Smart. They are drawn to an old Sith spellbook which Satal steals when the museum curator isn't looking. He's, he's really good at his job. Neither can read the text because it is written in the old Sith language, but when the two cousins hear of the impending Republic military invasion of Onderon and possible dark side use there, they decide to head that way. Arriving after the second battle of Onderon, the first was apparently Warb uh, Null's attack, um, the cousins Kito crash, crash land when their starship, the Krath Enchanter, is shot down. 
Unfortunately for pretty much everyone, they survive. Republic forces have deployed cruisers, super cruisers, and what is possibly their initial introduction in Star Wars history, the elite rocket jumper troopers who used rocket part, rocket packs to fly into battle. At the same time, Nomi's Jedi Task Force arrives, fighting their way to Fortress Kira while being hit by repeated waves of dark side energy and fighting over many Sith war droids. Nomi's battle meditation is blocked by some dark side sorcery. The dark side is so strong, it comes at them in waves. One wave knocks down Kith Kark, breaking his use of the Force to protect himself, and moments later he is killed by a blast of cannon fire. The four remaining Jedi are shocked to find their Jedi comrades not fighting. However, weeks spent under Nod and Omen's oppressive Sith magic has left them sullen and drained them of the will to live. They even feel less connection to the Force and they cannot fight. But the arrival of their allies does much to level the playing field, revive their spirits, and the Jedi, along with many of Kira's forces, are again ready to fight. While the Jedi gain the upper hand in battle, Nomi is hit with a concentrated attack that knocks her over. Ulik, who sees her, notices both her strength in the Force and her beauty, helps her to get to her feet, and they begin to fight again. The Kitos, meanwhile, have made their way to some nad cultist and are introduced to Omen after showing off their Sith book. Omen is pleased that they sought him out and gifts Satal a Sith amulet that magically allows him to read the book perfectly. In exchange, Omen asks to have his helper, Novar, transcribe the book quickly before the two cousins leave. Incidentally, Novar was a dark side acolyte to Aminoa and Omen the whole time and was the official the Jedi met on Onderon, who was a spacist to Tot Donita in the first pages of Ulit Keldroma and the Beast Wars of Onderon. While this is occurring, the Jedi are fighting their way through the Sith War droids defending the Omen Slayer. They successfully cut a path, but Kay's prosthetic arm is again cut off. This is a recurring problem for Kay that's two arms lost. Omen, attempting to turn the still-naked Arca to the dark side and slowly killing him with Sith energy, is shocked to find that his spirits are renewed as the Jedi carve through the walls and into Omen's chamber. Omen duels Ulic, and though the old man is powerful, he's no Ulic Keldroma. The young, the young Jedi eventually sees Omen's exoskeleton is the key and slices the frame, terming, turning the king's body into nothing more than, quote, an Arcanian jellyfish. Omen begs for Nad to help him, but the Sith spirit abandons him, having appeared to the key to the Kitos moments earlier, returning their Sith spellbook to them and giving them many Sith artifacts, including amulets, swords, and more. Nad also directed them to safety through a secret passage and then returned to the Puddle of Omen. Nod declared Omen's days finished and killed him using Sith magic. Nod then went on to declare the end of the Jedi, but was stopped by Master Arca, who had probably, you know, heard enough of Nad's endless monologuing. Arca, though weakened and injured, called upon the light and drove Frida Nad's spirit um, from from Onderon for good. After the battle ended and Nad was defeated, um, at least defeated for now, the Jedi assisted the Onderons in relocating the sarcophagi 
of Emanoa and that to Duxun to their final resting place. And uh, now we're going to introduce a new segment that we will periodically return to until the conclusion of Knights of the Old Republic 2, and it is the number of Jedi in the galaxy at any given time. And currently, in 3998 BBY, after the Freedonad update, there are thousands of Jedi in the galaxy. Uh, the number of Darksiders is one spirit and a really creepy country club cult. So that's where we sit right now. Okay, our next story is Tales of the Jedi, the Dark Lords of the Set. This is set in 3997 BBY. It was written by Tom Veitch and Kevin J. Anderson and uh, published in 1994-95. And it was a six-issue comic series. Veitch planned a 12-issue arc to cover the majority of the Sith War, but LucasArts broke it into two separate arcs and also brought in Kevin J. Anderson as co-writer. Christian Gossett returned to do the art with additional help from Art Weatherall on the last two issues due to Gossett being overloaded and Lucas wanting to hit a certain release date. Veitch later described Weatherall's work as rushed and less interesting in comparison to Gossett, though it Sounds as much of an indictment of the uh, LucasArts production timeline as anything. By both Veitch's admission and virtue of hindsight, this appears to be the time when the tale's creative relationship with Lucas, LucasArts turned sour, and uh, creative differences began to surface, though he would still help plot the uh, first two issues of the Sith War before departing. Dark Lords of the Sith introduces um, a number of new characters. In addition to our surviving major characters from the Freedonad uprising, including Ulic Keldroma, Nomi Sunrider, Tot Donita, Kay Keldroma, Thawne, Arca, the Spirit of Freedonad, Os Willem, Vima Sunrider, Alima, and Satal Kido, Dace Diath, Shoaneb Kulu, Kirl Took, and Voto Siusk Boss are newcomers and uh, returning uh, characters with larger roles include Exar Kun. Finally, we meet the biggest bad guy in the Great Sith War and one of the most powerful Sith to ever live. Kun is a human Jedi who eventually falls to the dark side after becoming too full of himself and seeking forbidden knowledge in his master's holocron and later on forbidden worlds. A tactical genius in many ways, an innovator in both the Force and the lightsaber, and possibly the greatest lightsaber duelist to ever live. This is all. This is all information. You know how Lucas Arts would have how they categorized it uh, back before the canon was wiped. That's you know that's not my opinion on it. Um, we we meet Silvar, a fearless Cathar Jedi who harbors much anger and hatred in her heart against Exar Kun and Ulit Keldroma, though you can't really blame her for that. Silvar is a cunning warrior and deeply loves her life mate Krato. Krato is a male Cathar Jedi who does love his life mate Silvar, but is also infatuated with Exar Kun in a fanboyish way. Cathar are feline humanoids with whiskers, retractable claws, and impressive healing abilities. Their society mates for life with one other Cathari and uh, will never take another mate if they die. Uh, we, we see the return of uh, Master Voto Siosk Boss. Uh, he's a 
formidable and powerful Kravaki Jedi master who leads his students on Dantooine, master to some of the greatest and most famous Jedi to ever live, including Nomi, Exar Kun, Krato, Shoaneb Kulu, Dace, Silvar, Curl Took, and a character we'll meet later named Krenda Dre. We see Ud Benar, a Nedi Jedi master, creative of, creator of the holocron Thon used in the saga of Nomi Sunrider. Uh, due to the destruction of the Nedi homeworld Rick uh, around 4000 BBY, Ud Benar is possibly the only surviving member of his already comparably tiny species in the galaxy. Visually, Nedi are similar to a human-sized version of Ents from The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and then we also see Odin Ur, our old friend from the Golden Age of the Sith, is still alive and well 1,000 years later. Since that time, Odin Ur has discovered what was thought to be what was then thought to be the only Sith holocron in existence, founded and helped build the great Jedi library on Ossus, reformed the Jedi code in ways that would stand until the downfall of the Republic and revenge of the Sith, and was briefly a master to Freed and Nad in some ways, in some way, and became besties with Ud Benar. Then we see Naga Sadao, who comes to us live via holocron. Um, in, Meta, real quick, there are some inconsistencies in Sadao's story from his first introduction here. Uh, originally, he's described as a Sith sorcerer and member of an elite priesthood of pure of the pureblood Sith species who fled to Yavin 4 because he rebelled against the acting Dark Lord and was subsequently banished and also labeled a criminal by the Galactic Republic, which was obviously later retconned in... Um, the golden age of the Sith. Uh, additionally, his defeat was originally dated in 4990 BBY and no war was mentioned. However, as we discussed in episodes three and four in greater detail, Sadao's story was changed drastically from his original introduction here to becoming the primary antagonist of the golden age of the Sith and the fall of the Sith empire comics. This story even implies that Exar Kun finally destroyed Sadao's spirit on Yavin 4, even though it was Frieden Nad who accomplished that feat, as we discussed earlier. And then Mark Aragnos, who just won't stay dead, and shows up in spirit form to give another history lecture. So the year again for this is uh, 3997 BBY. The uh, locations, we're going to be in the Denari system, we're going to be on Onderon. Duxun, uh, Dantooine, the Neba, um, the Empress Tita system, Yavin for Ossus, and Korriban. And so setting the Great Sith War, this is really where where it all comes together. Um, the first and second battles of Ondron or preludes to the rise of the Krath, um, then the fall of Exar Kun, then the fall of Ulukaldroma, and then the beginning of the campaign to take over the galaxy. We haven't seen we haven't even seen the Mandalorians yet. Um, most of the galaxy, especially the Republic, is completely unprepared for the speed, ferocity, and scale of the attacks they are about to face on as many as four fronts. At the beginning of Dark Lords of the Sith, the combatants in the Great Sith War are the Jedi and the Republic versus the Krath, um, and more will join. So uh, on Dantooine, um, the story starts with uh, Exar Kun's 
curiousness has gotten the better of him, and he has stolen his master's holocron. The holocron speaks, and we see a retelling of Naga Sadao's destruction of the Denari system when he, and I cannot stress this enough, pulled two stars together using Sith magic and the Force. Republic ships chasing Sadao's flagship, the Corsair, uh, which is nearing its end, um, were crushed between the suns, and the act destroyed the entire system, allowing the Dark Lord to escape. It's a retelling of events following Sadao's defeat in the Great Hyperspace War, which we discussed in much greater depth back in Episode 4. Kuhn asks about other Darksiders who were envious of the sole Dark Lord of the Sith, uh, to which the Hologron began the story of Freedom Nad. However, the tale is interrupted by Master Voda, who asks why his greatest student would be so curious about the fate of Dark Jedi. Exar Kuhn claims he was only curious and attempts to continue listening to the Holocron before Master Voto chides him directly, saying he's not ready to learn of the dark side. Meanwhile, uh, we finally make our triumphant return to the Koro system a thousand years after we left. It's changed much. Most notably, the Koro system is now called the Empress Tita system after the now mythic warlord who conquered the system way back in the Golden Age of the Sith. Empress Tita is one of, if not the largest carbonate, um, the Empress Tita system is one of, if not the largest carbonite producer in the galaxy at a time when it was integral to the construction of hyperspace engines. Uh, Tita's descendants rule, but they have been forced into a power sharing arrangement with the uh, private conglomerates that hold the rights to mine and sell carbonite. Uh, currently, Satal and Ali Makito's parents rule over the system and are performing their annual inspections of the mining facilities when the cousins Kito show up with their friends and the coup begins, using their royal tutor as a distraction and turning his tongue into a hideous tentacle monster using Sith magic. That is quite the distraction. Um, Satala talks a lot <laughs> while Alima has grown her powers in Sith magic considerably, fending off a number of attacks by royal soldiers. Eventually, the rulers are either killed or submit, with many being dipped in molten carbonite and hung on walls. Uh, I think there's less concern for the safety of dunking people in carbonite when they're going to be trophies and uh, torture. Um, yeah, yeah. Vader wasn't there checking uh, checking on uh, on carbonite production in this one. Yeah, <laughs> who knew? Vader, good at quality control. Um, so the coup occurred <laughs> as the Teton leaders were all gathered in one location with the help of bribed military leaders. Dark Vader, Lord of Osha, sorry. Um, the Krath nobles discussed their plans to force the submission of Kyrick by bombardment if necessary before Alima incinerates Koros with Sith magic for spilling their wine. You know, I mean, as... Uh... As socialites are what to do, I guess they, they had to reinforce that point, huh? Canon Alert 9. In 2018, the Krath coup that seized the carbonite mines of the Empress Tita system was made canon as a one-off note in the reference book Scum and Villainy. While this may seem a very small nod, it is also the first and only reference made to any plot element of an Old Republic story. Though our canon alerts all confirm events that either occur in the new canon or are in some way related or bring over some concept or design from the old republic of the old republic from legends, 
this is the first to make a plot element from a legend story fully canon. Uh, partially canon, we'll talk about Malachor and uh, the presence when we talk about Knights of the Old Republic 2. This is also incredibly specific as a reference, uh, both to the Tales of the Jedi series, uh, because the Krath only appear in these comics except for references by name in, I think, two other places, and to a minor event that we just discussed. This is not the biggest event to occur in the Tales of the Jedi. Obviously, it's just a one-off event that occurred in this book. Now, of course, this could all just be a simple reference, but who wants that, right? Elsewhere, love is in the air between Nomi and Ulic on Onderon. They have taken a shine to one another during some downtime for the Jedi who remained on the world after the Nautist were defeated. Sadly, the Krath coup is about to put an end to their staycation. Master Arca brings the Jedi together and tells them of the unrest in the Empress Tita sector and that they have failed to, con- to contain the Sith threat solely to Onderon and Duxun after the cousins Kito escaped, having been inducted into Sith magic by Nad's spirit. In an attempt to remedy the situation, Arca dispatches Dace, Kurltuk, Os, and Shoenub to Ossus to inform the Jedi and Republic leaders exactly what happened on Onderon. Nomi and Ulic will depart to lead the joint Jedi-Republic efforts in the Empress Tita system, kind of like generals, I guess, uh, but not before Nomi receives additional training in battle meditation from Arca. Uh, Tot and Kay will stay on Onderon to assist Arca. While waiting for Nomi to complete her training, Ulik, Kay, and Tot decide to examine Frieden Nad's old Sith artifacts for clues on how to defeat the threat in Empress Tita. While doing so, one of the oldest artifacts stirs the spirit of Nad, which appears on Onderon and confronts the three Jedi despite his sarcophagus being moved to Dexun. Nad tells the Jedi they cannot stop the foretold rise of the Sith and tells Ulik specifically that he cannot his, avoid his destiny and that he will, quote, become one of the great ones, end quote, though there is another that will be even greater than Ulik. And the story returns to Dantooine, where we get our first look at the uh, planet Leia mentions in A New Hope. Master Vodo is overseeing lightsaber training between Exar Kun and Prado. While Krato is a formidable warrior and both are apprentices, he's truly no match for Kun. Krato sees this as no problem, losing to the best is not dishonor in his eyes, but Kun views such an attitude as weakness, mocking the defeated Kathar. Master Vodo then sends Silvar to face Exar Kun, who is growing more full of himself by the minute. Silvar has confidence in spades, and the two do not spar so much as duel in anger with lightsabers, the class show hard they can be heard for kilometers. While their blades are locked, Exarkun introduces more spacism, telling Silphar that animal Jedi are no match for their human counterparts. This obviously drives Silvar to fits of rage. She defends her people as great Jedi masters, but also fails Master Vodo's test of restraint when she uses her claws against Kun, slashing his face and leaving scars on his cheek that will stay with him forever. A mark of the worth of animal Jedi, one might say. Exar Kun is furious and nearly murders Silvar. 
after disarming her and leaving her defenseless on the ground. Silver sees that Kuhn is no Jedi and the human goes for the killing blow, but is stopped by Master Vodo's wooden staff. Kuhn is disarmed by his master, but challenges him, accepting Kratos' lightsaber as a challenge of his arrogance. The two duel, and Master Vodo quickly dispatches Kuhn with his wooden walking stick, which he has imbued with the power of the Force, to withstand the lightsaber strikes. As Kuhn is defeated, he sees his lightsaber and calls it with the Force, rising to face Master Vodo again, but with two lightsabers, using the lightsaber form Jarkai. Kuhn gives in to his anger and fights Vodo again, this time defeating him and destroying his stick. The duel ends with no deaths, but Kuhn's fall has truly begun in earnest, and his master knows it. A month has passed since Master Arca sent his charges out to organize the Jedi Republic strike against the Empress Tita system. In that time, the Jedi of Onderon have worked to rebuild the parts of Onderon destroyed in the recent fighting and now await the arrival of a supposed Jedi archaeologist who will assist them with Friedenad's Sith artifacts. Kay and Tot greet the archaeologist who is actually Exar Kun, having gone to Onderon looking for Sith artifacts after learning of Nad from his master's holocron. His guise fools the younger Jedi, but Arca arrives and Exarkun's jig is up. Arca uses the Force to perceive that Kuhn is no archaeologist despite, despite Kuhn's many protests to the contrary. Arca proclaims that Exarkun is not welcome on Onderon, despite being a Jedi, despite a Jedi being able to come and go where he pleases. Kuhn boards his ship and leaves for Isis, with Arca left to explain the situation to Kay and, Kay and Tot, while also alerting them of Ulik and Nomi's major test starting. Exar Kuhn, meanwhile, finds two Nadists who are still preaching in Isis because they couldn't take the hint. Nad, er, I'm sorry. Exar Kuhn rescues them from a mob, saying justice must be done. He, they then lead him to the tomb of Friedenad on Duxun, which is guarded by the natural beast of the moon and the nearly and nearly impenetrable walls of Mandalorian armor or Mandalorian iron, excuse me. Exarkun turns his lightsaber intensity up to 11 and finally cuts through the Mandalorian iron. Entering the tomb, he finds the spirit of Friedenad who gives him a Sith scroll written by Naga Sadao to guide him to the ancient home of the Sith and push him toward the dark side. Leaving the tomb, the two Nadists obviously have a death wish because they confront Exar Kun for grave robbing and are killed as an, in an instant as Kun gives in to his anger, ignited by Nad's dark side power. Kuhn, knowing what he has done, leaves Dixun aboard his ship. During the trip, he translates the scrolls, which lead him to Korriban. At the same time, in the Empress Tita system, the Krath cult prepares an invasion as it moves a large military station over Koros Major, the last world in the system holding out against their rule. The warriors of the Empress Tita system are proud of their heritage and have not yet adopted the more advanced weaponry of the galaxy, preferring old armor and melee weapons. This, however, makes them perfect subjects for Alima Kito's burgeoning powers in Sith magic, which he uses to seemingly turn their edged weapons into snakes, causing the warriors to believe they are being attacked and eventually fall into a catatonic state and then die. 
As the craft look to overwhelm Koro's major, the joint Jedi Republic Task Force arrives, led by Uli Keldromo, Nomi Sunrider, and General Vicinus. The joint force demands a ceasefire, but Alima is far stronger than they feared. Using intensive magics, he causes the entire force to see the space grazers appear from nowhere. Space grazers are blob-like beasts with tentacles, growing larger than star destroyers that existed in the vacuum of space and fed on passing ships, though they haven't been seen for thousands of years and were thought extinct. This attack cripples the joint fleet before Nomi, using advanced battle meditation, susses out the craft trick, works to block Alima's magic, and the fleet moves in, firing upon the craft command ship above Koros Major. Satal Kido dispatches numerous squadrons of small Chaos Fighter starships, which the fleet is about to fire upon, but Nomi stops them, believing the ships are all illusory. Nomi attacks Alima through the Force, interrupting her magic totally for the time being, but not before she imbued the very real Chaos Fighters with dark side energy, and Satal bound the pilots to his will, making their kamikaze attacks on the fleet cruisers all the more deadly. The joint fleet hadn't fired and had yet to activate shields, meaning many Chaos Fighters got through, including one that crashed into the flagship, leaving a piece of burning wreckage in Ulik's side. Nomi holds him and tells him the dark side wound will heal, it has to heal. Though they still have the larger and more advanced force, the Jedi Republic fleet fell into the craft trap and have no way to combat such tactics. Thus, General Vicinus orders a full retreat to determine the next course of action. (sighs) All right, I think that's where we're going to... Go ahead. That's a lot. No, that's yeah. that's a lot. That you know they. That's a lot, and we're only uh, one, two issues through Dark Lords of the Sith, <laughs> uh, through that series, and it's got six issues. So <laughs> it's a lot. Yep. Definitely more to dive into. It already plenty there of fleets and sectors and Sith imbued fighters. I uh, mm-hmm. delightful stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. thank you all for listening to A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time, we will keep talking about the Dark Lords of the Sith. We're going to see Ulic Caldromo's long-prophesized fall to the dark side. Long-prophesized, it's going to happen eventually. It happens next time. Please rate, comment, and subscribe to People's History of the Old Republic on Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for the five-star ratings on iTunes. Uh, ratings and comments help the show. We really appreciate them. Follow us on Twitter at photorpod or email us at photorpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us questions and comments and we will answer them on the show. I'm Atherton KD on Twitter. And I'm at LucasAmazing on Twitter. Thank you again for listening and may the force be with you.